Welcome to Digital Mental Health Conversations, the podcast by Silver Cloud Health. The fifth podcast in our series is discussing the theme for this year's World Mental Health Day, which is Mental Health for All, Greater Investment, Greater Access. And I'm minded by a statement made by Dr. Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus, Director General of the World Health Organization, who said, the world is accepting the concept of universal health coverage. Mental health must be an integral part of universal health coverage. Nobody should be denied access to mental health care because she or he is poor or lives in a remote place. But how does this get translated into practical terms? We're joined today by an NHS mental health commissioner, a healthcare provider and a service user who will be sharing their thoughts of mental health for all. So let me introduce our three guests. Firstly, we have Dan Burningham. And Dan is the Mental Health Programme Director at City and Hackney CCG. He has over 25 years experience in the field of mental health. And in 2019, the Clinical Commissioning Group, with other local partners, won the Mental Health Innovation of the Year Award at the HSJ. Dan is a qualified coach, and over the last seven years, he has coached healthcare managers using creative approaches to unlock potential. Next, we have Brendan Street. Brendan is professional head of emotional well-being at Nuffield Health. He is a BABCP accredited cognitive behavioral psychotherapist and supervisor, a fully qualified EMDR practitioner and NMC registered mental health nurse. Brendan has over 25 years experience of treating mental health problems in the NHS and private sector. And lastly, we're joined by Ben Jones. Ben has over 20 years experience of communications roles in high profile and complex UK and global organisation. He has a passion for mental health, work-life balance and relationships between the workplace and mental health, shaped by his lived experience of a breakdown in 2015 whilst in a senior leadership role. Ben speaks and blogs regularly on mental health issues, including lecturing at Liverpool John Walls University, and he is training to become a psychotherapist. Thank you all for joining us. Well, thank you very much to everyone for, for joining us today. Got a few questions that I'd like to kind of run through just to kind of help kind of really stimulate a, a conversation around World Mental Health Day, which this year's theme is around mental health for all, greater investment, greater access. So I guess the first thing that, that kind of crops into my mind is, is what are some of the barriers or challenges to that, to, to mental health for all? So I'd like to really kind of fire this first to Dan in terms of your kind of experience in terms of the National Health Service. What do you think are some of the barriers or challenges to mental health for all in your experience delivering and helping to kind of commission mental health services? Thanks, Lloyd. Well, coming from a commissioner perspective, I'm Commissioner at City and Hackney CCG, and I've been here for the last five years. Um, and I come from mental health. I've always worked in mental health over the last 25 years as clinician and, and also as a sort of manager and, and more recently commissioner. I think what we've seen is a rise in demand for mental health, for psychological treatments in particular. Um, and I suppose you could, we could say that's actually a positive because people are better informed and they're also more open to psychological therapies. So we've seen a huge demand, and whilst IAP services are growing to meet that demand, 
some other services, more co- the more complex end, there is less growth and demand outstrips supply. So I think one of the challenges is meeting the demand simply within IAPT. I mean, that's just a growth challenge. And then there's a more intangible problem, but I think one where, where there are solutions, which is at the more complex, acute and enduring end of the spectrum, there is also a big rise in, in demand. And I think that this demand has become exacerbated and partly by COVID, I think that's created a, an increase in, in a whole new range of, of issues and greater complexity as well. And also, I think what, what the pandemic's done is it's removed some of our abilities to, to manage this demand in a face-to-face way. So it's put more stress on finding solutions that are remote. And what are some of, you know, based on that kind of demand outstripping supply, what are some of the things that you've implemented in City and Hackney, CCG and across kind of northeast London? What are some of the things that you've been able to kind of do to try and meet that? Well, I think some of it is about reaching out to communities who are on the wrong end of the digital divide and are not easy, not easy to reach. And that's sort of different people from uh, different Bain communities. So we've had a very strong push in those in that direction. But also, I think overall, our philosophy and our approach has been to enhance digital solutions as well. So we've tried to get, and if people are on the wrong side of the digital divide, we've tried to give them digital kits, smartphones or whatever, to enable them to have access. So I think a big a big part of our solution is moving to greater patient agency, autonomy and choice via digital solutions. And, you know, we've used Silver Cloud on the um in, within IAP services, but also on that we've also trialled using them in the more severe and enduring mental health problems as well. And some of those communities that might have been excluded or, or felt excluded from uh, mental health services, how do you engage with those different communities? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's a challenge. It's very specific, Lloyd, to the community. I mean, for example, we've got a very large Orthodox Jewish community in the north of Hackney that is just simply not connected largely on the internet and is reluctant to use those solutions largely for religious and cultural reasons. And so the solutions have been using the telephone, really, you know, helplines and group therapy via telephone conference calls. With the Turkish community, we've kind of moved along the idea of They've got digital solutions. They've got people who speak the language. It's more about language barriers and it's getting the digital stuff translated and, you know, with the right cultural references in place. With our black population, African and Caribbean heritage, which is about 20% of City in Hackney, we've got a two-pronged solution. We've got a digital platform and we've also got outreach work networking on the streets and the two kind of things working together. So we've got a blended approach of face-to-face outreach work and a digital platform which has got you know interesting things you know prominent members of the community role models people who are you know artists and that sort of thing talking about mental health to draw people in and then that links into services and links into digital solutions etc etc I think this is really uh, an, an important point you raise here that when we, it's very easy to use the word kind of digitally excluded or excluded from, but, but you have to kind of take a very specific approach for each of those different communities. One, obviously, in terms of kind of access to digital, one in terms of kind of cultural translations, et cetera. So 
I think when we think about kind of digital exclusion, it's not just about access, it's about usability. And often, you know, we conflate the two. So that's really nice to kind of hear taking that real kind of specific approach to each of those kind of communities. Ben, I'd like to kind of pull you in, if you don't mind, in in terms of what your experiences of of mental health services have been, and and particularly any uses of kind of digital kind of programs, digital therapy, and, and how you think that greater accessibility can be achieved or enhanced even. Thanks for having me on the podcast. It strikes me that there's sort of two, you know, from a kind of end user perspective, and I'm somebody who has, you know, I would say pretty good awareness of services that are available connected with my GP practices and so on. I was working in a big organization when I had a a mental health breakdown a number of years ago. I guess, you know, there were two challenges. I think the first one, before we get to access and, and availability and so on, is taking that first step to say, I need some help. And I think that, you know, that can be incredibly difficult for lots of reasons. And I was really interested in hearing Dan talk about different cultural dynamics in different communities, which, which you know, really resonate. But I think also there is that, you know, this is the first time you've had a, you know, you've become aware of a mental health condition. It can be really difficult to recognize it, really difficult to know what it is, perhaps even more difficult to admit that you've got a problem or you've got a challenge. So I think before we even get to the availability of services, I think there is something about, you know, there's been an awful lot of really positive work done around reducing stigma and encouraging conversations. I think that's incredibly powerful. And that may be also partly what's behind some of the increase in demand that Dan spoke about. But I think also there's still more support needed to help people take that next step. I think, you know, my own experience was having, a you know, an incredibly supportive general practitioner who you know, signposted me really quickly for, you know, talking therapies and so on. But I faced the immediate barrier of a very long waiting list to access NHS services. You know, at this particular moment, I was living in the southeast in, in Surrey, and the expectation was that I might wait a year before seeing, you know, a therapist or a counsellor. So that immediately puts up a barrier. And that's not obviously the case for everybody, and it's different across different parts of the UK. We do hear a lot, I think, of people taking some time to access services, potentially specialist services in some areas. So I think that's where digital solutions, online platforms, alternatives can be a real a real advantage. That wasn't something at that moment that was suggested to me. So I think because I had some of the awareness of, of what might be out there and, and, and I'm digitally connected, I was able to seek some of that myself, but it, it wasn't a go-to solution. Now, we're talking four or five years ago, and I hear more positive things now about people's experience with GPs and other signposting digital solutions. But it was something that wasn't presented to me at the time. It was, you can wait 12 months or you can take a private route to accessing face-to-face services. There wasn't the alternative offered at that moment. I think that's a shame because there'd be a lot of benefit for an awful lot of patients in that position. Again, some really interesting points there. That you mentioned that firstly, it's about kind of recognition and being able to stimulate a conversation, being able to kind of talk about mental health without the stigma associated with it. And then having that when someone is able to start that conversation and recognize that actually they might need some additional support, that that support should be there without necessarily having to kind of wait. And whilst we do kind of live in a digitally connected kind of world, it should be more kind of freely available and and, and right there at at the point of need. I think that's kind of essential. 
And Brendan, how are you finding this in terms of some of the work that Nuffield is doing in, you know, working with companies, employers, and also, you know, working in the, in the health system? How are you helping to kind of stimulate those conversations and, and make those services available really at the point of need, kind of shifting the, the stigma that can often be really kind of a barrier for some companies to, to actually deploy mental health services? Yeah, thanks, Lloyd. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting listening to Ben and Dan's points from a private healthcare sort of proposition because we're in that situation where the availability that you've talked about it is there really. The difficulty we've got, because we work mainly in a corporate sort of environment, and the difficulty we've got, like touched upon what Ben is, is stigma and fear of discrimination. And I think for me, the barriers to accessing mental health treatment for all, probably three interconnected. One is availability, but the other two really are awareness and language. So in terms of awareness, very much, and I know there's been a lot of work done, but very much in this country, we're still stuck with this idea that mental health is just the absence of mental illness. And I think that leads to, and particularly in the corporate sector, people thinking that they're not poorly enough to access help. And then I think connected to that is the language around mental health. And I think even though we've done loads and loads of work in this country, again, in terms of language, we're still stuck with a bit of a disorder-led definition of mental health. So again, this mental illness picture of mental health and the idea that it's what is wrong with you rather than what happened to you. And we're stuck with disorders and conditions. And again, this puts people off, puts people off talking and then they get a narrow view of what mental health care is. So it gets fixed on that treatment end of mental health care rather than enhancement. So people that are mentally fit, that want to be mentally fitter and, and can access digital health care that way. Prevention, particularly where we use Silver Cloud a lot within the corporate set- setting, people that are experiencing stress, but not necessarily clinically ill, that can engage in help quicker and then through to treatment. So I think, and, and then because the view in, in the country and in, in the corporate setting sometimes is fixed on that treatment idea, then it all gets focused on treatment and that's where availability becomes difficult. So I think within Nuffield, we've, we've had a really big push in terms of with our big corporate clients is looking at language and trying to move away from like a one in four where it's, you know, one in four of us experienced a mental health problem to four in four, that we've all got mental health and that and our needs vary depending on where we are. So that might be enhancement, prevention to treatment. And again, moving away from that one in four means that we're not talking about a diagnostic level. We're not talking about illness necessarily. We're talking about getting help when you need it and when you're distressed. And I think trying to move away from that has helped us a lot in the corporate setting because we've been able to sidestep a lot of the stigma and fear that I think Ben was touching on before. I think the awareness I'm, I'm going to kind of pick up on in a moment, Brendan, because I think that is absolutely fundamental. But back then, in terms of your experiences, in terms of how it's uh, the mental health is talked about, the, the language that is used, uh, what were your experiences then in terms of, you know, how when, when you were kind of seeking out uh, services, how did you feel that that language, did that play a part in you kind of acknowledging or recognising or, or seeking out services? You know, how can the language used be changed? Yeah, I think it's, I think this is a really critical topic, and I was really struck by by what Brennan said. I mean, I was working in a big corporate organisation at the time that I became ill, and when I look back now, and I, with the benefit of you know talking therapy, and I've I've just started to train myself as a psychotherapist, and I can see some of the the signs and the warnings. I think language is incredibly important. You know, I spent. You know, the last 20 years working in communications and communication roles. So I'm really, you know, interested in language and how it's used. And I think, you know, Brendan's right. 
there's a lot of focus, particularly in big corporate organizations, on this idea of a kind of deficit model. It, you know, it is very much, we don't talk enough about prevention. We don't talk enough about wellness and being well. We focus on when things have gone wrong. And I think, you know, one of the words that's really struck with me during the time that I was trying to understand what had happened to me and then try to sort of start my recovery, the word I kept getting from my organization was resilience. And, and resilience is one of those really loaded words. And I, you know, I talk about this when I lecture in it now. It can be a really positive thing. But for me, it was used a little bit as a blame tool. You know, you weren't resilient enough. You need to build more resilience. And again, it's a, it's a focus on the negative. It's a focus on something that you didn't have enough of. And, you know, I worked with some fantastic people at the time that I became ill. But I, I did get the, you know, the sense they didn't really know how to have a meaningful conversation unless somebody presented with, this is what I think's wrong with me. Can I access some help? At that point, they would be incredibly supportive. But I think the problem is we're waiting until a crisis rather than having ongoing positive conversations about how we look after each other, how we're kind to ourselves, how we support each other. And I think that's the step change that, you know, organizations are undoubtedly trying to make, you know, particularly big corporate organizations with large volumes of staff and resources. But I think they are still struggling. They still focus on the treatment rather than on the prevention. And and that came through in my experience, certainly. That's hugely important that we need to change the nature of the conversation from it being a negative to it being a positive, um, being able to not see this as something that people have lost, but something, you know, in terms of kind of achieving kind of positive mental health. And I think that almost kind of ties back to some of the cultural aspects that Dan was touching on before, that we need to have language that resonates with the person based on their kind of cultural background, but also in terms of making sure that it's a positive experience to access mental health or well-being services. One of the things that Brendan talked about was also awareness, that actually that there is availability of services. And whilst there may be some challenges around demand supply, there are services and, and technologies that can kind of provide that support and help to people. Often it is the awareness of those services that is absolutely kind of key. I remember working with uh, Anxiety UK and they did a survey of their members and obviously most of their members are seeking out help for anxiety issues. 57% weren't aware of what IAPT was. So they didn't know kind of the, the way in to kind of access mental health services on the NHS. We've seen that that awareness in terms of uh, during covid that when there was an initial big push in terms of digital mental health solutions like SilverCloud, we saw a huge spike. But as that awareness kind of campaign trailed off, the awareness did as well. And so you saw that kind of dip. Our statistics show that about 82% of people who are aware of SilverCloud then go on to sign up for it and use the solution. So we do know that there is an awareness rather than a, a usability or, or kind of uh, accessibility issue here. So in terms of for Dan, how can we kind of improve those awareness levels? How can we, you know, again, achieve that greater access and via awareness? And, and how do you think we can kind of achieve that both at a local level, but also at a national level? Yeah, I think that this is important. There's an important point being raised about treatment and the way we view mental health, which cuts into the question of awareness of it, really. And I think it's the way in which the treatments are framed or the way in which mental health help is sought. And I think often people come in seeking a cure for something 
and therefore they see it as a treatment or it's presented as a treatment. And I think that coming back to what's been said, what Brendan and Ben have both been saying, really, that I think we need to think of a mental health as something that is more like health. That's a good way of raising awareness. And I think that the digital solutions and the digital world is a really good way of doing that. Because if we think of things like Fitbit or Strava, which a lot of people have been using, particularly during the pandemic, that's actually quite a good model for how you might keep healthy with mental health as well. It's kind of like doing exercise. And I think one way of promoting mental health is by that kind of idea that it is health. And we've got a big campaign in City and Hackney, which is around sort of five ways to well-being, where we talk about, you know, five ways for staying mentally well. And then it's quite easy to translate that into sort of an online or digital solution, digital platform, where you work at five ways of staying well. So I think the two kind of go hand in hand, really. But yeah, I think certainly there's something about awareness being targeted at health rather than illness. Yes, absolutely. And, and that sort of parity of esteem between physical health and mental health, we're making great strides towards that parity, but I think we're still quite some distance away from where we can kind of see, you know, everyone has health. And so everyone needs that kind of positive mental health as well. And that's something that SilverCloud has done in terms of integrating with, say, for example, the Apple Watch, where you can have a kind of a daily mood checker bit like kind of checking your steps, etc. So that really kind of does help people kind of become much more aware of, of how they're feeling and then being able to kind of access the right sorts of approaches. Um, how do you think that awareness could be done at a national level, Dan? Oh, gosh, that's a tricky question. Um, I mean, there has been a lot of interest from certainly wider kind of marketing areas, like, for example, Healthy London Partnership were interested in the pan-London approach to mental health. And I think, you know, again, they pushed forward the kind of ways for well-being, and one could see that occurring at a national level. Yeah, I think there's something about the way in which we promote mental health nationally via the NHS and via, you know, the communications that we come out one of the things that, that I think will happen in the NHS is we will eventually move towards patients having their own records and they will have their own apps with all their health information on it, and that will be on their phone or tablet or wherever. And I think that that's one way in which messaging, you know, will come across for both physical health and mental health into the patient's hands. And I think that's kind of future of sort of reaching people. But I think until we reach that point, it's a question of promoting, you know, mental health and removing the stigma and enabling people to have a conversation. But also, I think it's really important that people have the right expectations for what mental health can offer people. And then I think it's not necessarily a cure in the same way that physical health is a cure. And I think, you know, what's happened over the last sort of 10 to 15 years is that we've lost some of the stigma towards mental health, but that people view it just like having a broken knee or something. And it isn't really the same thing. So it's something about the way in which people engage with help and what the expectations are. I think that would really help. Interesting to hear what the others, what Ben's experiences are on that as well. Yeah, no, thank you. I think that's a really interesting point because I think there is a there's a real thing for me at a national level about role models as well. And it's, that's the same in, at a local level. But you asked the question about nationally. I think it is a really tricky issue. But we are still, there's still a novelty and there's still a surprise expressed both in the media and I think just in general conversation. 
when high profile individuals talk about mental health. And it's a really positive thing when they do. And we can see the impact that you know, members of the royal family or people in public life or in sport or in the media and so on have had. I think we want that to be seen as more of the norm than an exception. And I think the point that Dan was making there around expectations is really important because I think the other thing that we we see, and we see it a lot on documentaries around mental health, is we're looking for a happy ending at the end. And we're looking for a, yes, patient was poorly, had some treatment. It was a bit tricky, but now they're better and we can all relax. And I think there needs to be more conversation about living with mental health conditions, but that can be a very positive thing. You know, I feel, you know, myself, I've made you know, really significant progress since I was particularly poorly, but I've spent, you know, I will live with depression now probably for the rest of my life. And that's something that I'm I'm actually fine with. I mean, I'd, I'd rather not be living with depression, but I can live with it and have lead an incredibly full and positive life. And I think more conversation about that rather than it's a point in time, we need to get better and that's it. It's about finding ways that we can each manage our own health and well-being and using the technology that's available on an ongoing basis which is why I think the idea of products like Silver Cloud linking with the Apple technology is really powerful, that we as individuals can take ongoing ownership of our health and it not be a, I'm sick, I need to get better. But, you know, it's an ongoing discussion. And I think this is key because going back to the point where people sometimes seek out a treatment and have a treatment episode, we see it very differently with Silver Cloud between people who see this as a treatment episode, come for eight weeks and then finish compared to people who might use Silver Cloud, much more self-help by themselves. Because what happens is people come in on an ongoing basis, but they might just use it twice or three times and then come back much later on. And it's there to kind of top up your well-being when needed, when when facing life's challenges. So it, it is a very, very diff- different kind of paradigm. One of the questions in terms of World Mental Health Day was all around access. And I think we've kind of touched on quite a few different elements of that. The other part of World Mental Health Day talks about greater investment. So one of the questions I have for each of you, really, and I'd like to start with Brendan, where do you think that investment needs to go? Where should we be investing in terms of, given the conversations that we've had, where do you think that investment should be? And for me, the whole debate that we've been having about language I mean, people aren't going to act in in terms of that continuum of mental health and and seeing mental health, not just those extreme ends in terms of treatment. So you're looking at enhancement prevention to treatment. If we're going to get people to be able to access treatment early, it all comes back to me in terms of language and in terms of having a working model for mental health, where mental health, like we've, we've all said, is not just the absence of mental illness. And I think if you'd looked at the investment, that the most sensible place to start is schools. Within schools, we don't have a proper model of how children look at mental health. Very much in terms of my experience with my kids has been that it's very much still seen as a disorder, as a condition, rather than this nuanced picture that we've all been talking about of mental health being something that you can invest in and you can make strides to make yourself mentally fitter. And I think if there was going to be any investment, it needs to be in a proper coordinated schools program that looks at a model for children to understand their mental health because then they'll have a language to be able to talk about mental health. Then they'll appreciate that there's a continuum. Then they'll, they'll access help earlier. So I'd, I'd say definitely in terms of investment, in terms of that language. 
I think for me as well, it was interesting when we were talking about a national level and then a local level, how we can encourage engagement. And it's been interesting in terms of the experience during COVID for Nuffield Health, because apart from our gyms, we've also got hospitals and our hospitals, get um, we gave them over to the NHS in terms of COVID care. So we had frontline staff as well, which have been interesting during COVID. Being able to access those frontline staff at a local level was difficult to get them to access because um, we gave them all access to the Silver Cloud platform to help them during COVID. But it was interesting trying to get them to access it because if you imagine a nurse, a nurse is not going, ironically, is not going on the extranet or the internet to access things. We had to get posters on the back of, and I'm a nurse by profession, posters on the back of toilet doors with QR codes so they could access it. So we had a very low level technology intervention to get them to access a digital intervention and then we had to get the messaging right and and, and you were talking before then about resilience and resilience being almost like a, a word that really prickles people and particularly with the with nurses there's a really big risk that they just they crack on regardless and they see resilience as being bulletproof yeah. and they also see admitting that they're not resilient as a risk that they'll get reported to the nmc in mm-hmm. terms of not being fit to practice so we had to be really careful in terms of that messaging around that and in terms of resilience. And we went with a, it's okay not to be okay at this time, just tell us, and this is the support you can access. So we found in, in terms of that sort of meta level of, of national being able to communicate, I think that definitely does start with schools, but then at the coal face in terms of being able to get into those communities and get them to access it, it becomes a more nuanced debate. Absolutely. And I think the Starting those conversations as early as possible, normalizing that conversation Mm. is absolutely fantastic in terms of where that investment should be. But I like the idea that those posters with QR codes, you know, we can put out big Twitter campaigns. Mm. If no one has the time or the luxury to be on Twitter to kind of see that, and obviously with all the noise that is on Twitter, then actually those posters, you know, right in front of them in the workplace, destigmatizing it is fantastic. Ben, for you, where, where would you put that investment? Yeah, I mean, that's an awful lot of what, uh, of what Brendan said. I subscribe to, I think he's absolutely right. For me, it's clear that it's not enough to invest in more face-to-face support. We clearly have, as, as, um, as Dan said earlier on, a huge demand out there at the moment for mental health services, partly COVID and partly not COVID. We clearly need some more boots on the ground to respond to that. But I think the role of technology is hugely valuable. And I'm struck by my most recent experience, which has been working at a university where, you know, we do have, you know, a, a generation of users, if you like, of technology who are really comfortable accessing the sort of information that you can get through Silver Cloud and, and the technology, as you mentioned before, around, around Apple on mental health. And they, they are, they like that option. They like to be able to explore some of those issues in their own time, you know, on their own devices. And I think making that much more available would be, would be crucial. I also think that the point around schools is, is critical. You know, I have a six-year-old and I'm really heartened by the fact that she goes to after, after school clubs each night after school and one night a week, it's mindfulness club that she goes to. And they're starting with that year, year one and year two at school, already trying to have a conversation about mindfulness and, and mental health and well-being. I think like, uh, like Brendan, I'd like to see a, a really concerted, coordinated campaign across the country in all schools and start that conversation earlier. But I think the thing that I've learned most from my recent experience of talking about my own experience and and some of the things that I've learned, both when I write about this or when I talk about it, is people 
when given an opportunity to have a conversation, if it's done well, they will open up and they will, if you can create the right culture and the right environment, there are corporate organizations, there are organizations of all shapes and sizes where there is a huge demand for people to talk about it and they want to be able to come forward. But I think, as, uh, as Brendan said, there's still a fear in lots of workplaces. If I put my hand up and say, actually, I'm struggling or I need a bit of help, I might get the help, but I might also be ruled out of the next promotion or the next big project, or I, I might be looked at differently. And I think that's the next big thing for us to tackle in the workplace. It's, it's not just the stigma of saying, I want to talk about this. We still have work to do there. But it's also that having opened up the conversation, how do you make it meaningful? How do we make sure that people don't feel like I've now exposed myself and you know, my ambitions will have to be turned down now because I'm viewed a certain way? I think you know, investment in those kind of conversations from school right through to the workplace are, are critical here, I think. Thank you, Ben. And lastly, Dan, as a commissioner, you know, in terms of investment, that this is obviously kind of key for you. Where do you feel the investment needs to be? Yes. Well, I think it needs to be where it hasn't been going. So most of the investment recently and and actually the next three years investment is going to be wrapped up in brief therapy for people with mild to moderate mental health problems, anxiety and depression in the services known as IAP services. And so the priority actually is the bits around the edges for that. So it's people with problems which are more enduring. And we've talked about how digital technology can really help there because it offers an on, something that can be used on an ongoing basis and help perhaps some of the resource problem of offering treatments. We just haven't got the money to offer treatments for years and years and years for people on a one-to-one level. So it's kind of ongoing treatments. Then there's also a gap between sort of secondary care and what you might call primary care or GPs. People experiencing trauma are a huge number within that gap. So I think there is definitely a need to prioritise trauma. And um, so that's important. And and then, of course, the more severe and and complex end of the spectrum as well has not had the resources it, it needs. You know, people are in secondary care community teams. They get discharged into primary care where their problems continue, but they don't get any help. There's nothing there for them, you know, really. Maybe some voluntary sector organisations, but nothing that's really psychological. And I think the advantage of the digital technology is that it can offer the patient some kind of support on an ongoing basis through work that they do with themselves. But also there's the opportunity to blend it with a degree of support that isn't so intensive that it would break the bank of commissioners like myself. You know, we could afford to offer to reach a lot of people if each person got a little bit of support. And so it's kind of a balance about it's helping patients to do stuff themselves with the support of others, I think, is the way forward, really. And thank you for for raising the issue with people with much more longer term and perhaps more severe and complex mental health. We've talked a lot about people at the, the sort of the front end of services, those, you know, starting those conversations really early. But we should never forget those people who have been living with mental health for a longer time and managing those living with some of those conditions. So we do really need to kind of have that investment so that people don't fall between the cracks, as has been the case in the past. So many points have been raised today that I've really enjoyed the conversation. Unfortunately, we we are out of time today. 
I just kind of want to reflect on, on one of the, the points that you made there, Dan, if, the, if we invest a little in a lot, then we can kind of offset that kind of tsunami of mental health that, that is being talked about in the wake of the corona pandemic. I remember speaking to a, a person who used Silver Cloud in the past and, and they had a really nice kind of quote that they wanted access to digital mental health in the same way that you could access and, and buy paracetamol within a supermarket, that actually it should be as, as readily available and as cost effective as that. And I think that that kind of talks to your point, Dan. So just leaves me to say thank you very much for, for all of you with sharing your thoughts uh, around mental health for World Mental Health Day, that greater access, greater investment. And I think we've kind of touched on all of the points that, that could really help drive each of those areas forward. So uh, thank you very much for, for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks very much. Great to be to chat to you. Yeah, thank great you. to talk.